Hello and welcome back to Nomads, you and I. Mark, it is late February when we're recording this, and we only have about another month here in Florida before we take off again for another leg of this Nomad Quest journey. What kinds of things might we be looking forward to in the next leg as you've been working on destinations between here and Oregon? Well, hopefully we will see parts of Virginia, coast of Virginia we hadn't seen before. We will come through Athens, Alabama, maybe the Natchez Trace up through Mississippi, and also as we uh, hit congregations in New Jersey and New York, and then see the upper part of New York State, like the Finger Lakes region, the upper peninsula of Michigan, that Probably the one place that I hear most from people in RV parks. Have you been to the Upper P? The UP. The UP. And that's what they're all talking about. So we got to try that. And also Wisconsin. That's kind of what I'm thinking about right now. All right. So what are some destinations within these? Well, there would be like Virginia Beach in Virginia. Okay. And Jamestown. Williamsburg, uh-huh. Chimney Rock in North Carolina. Uh-huh. So that would be some destinations. All right. Sounds like fun. Mark does all the logistics. I'm just along for the ride. So you always do a good job. And we're also looking forward to a little project. We had bought a map even before we came to Florida that's kind of big. And so we're planning on kind of using it as a piece of art where we take a silver pen And we draw a line from the route those first two years and put little pins in the special places that hold a special place in our heart with our memories. So looking forward to putting that little art project together and that will hang in Mark's office. Mm -hmm. Retracing the journey, the quest. Mm -hmm. I think I'll have my phone open, my Google Photos open so I can kind of remember what happened at each of those locations. So it's kind of all about milking it. after the travel as well so that will be a fun way to recall maybe some things that we'd forgotten about all right so that brings us mark let's dig into this scripture hike that is in first thessalonians chapter 5 starting in verse 19 verse 19 do not quench the spirit do not despise prophetic utterances but examine everything carefully hold fast to that which is good abstain from every form of evil Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you entirely, and may your spirit and soul and body be preserved complete without blame at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Faithful is he who calls you, and he will also bring it to pass. Brethren, pray for us. Greet all the brethren with a holy kiss. I adjure you by the Lord to have this letter read to all the brethren. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. All right, so can you help us understand by using other scriptures that talk about the Spirit, what it means to not quench the Spirit? Well, I think the Spirit there is the Holy Spirit. That Mm -hmm. would seem to make the most sense to me. Yes, a translator's in my translation, New American Standard, given a capital S, so that was their understanding. Particularly in view of the next verse, verse 20, which talks about prophecy which was a spiritual gift yes, and something that would be revealed via the Holy Spirit. And so to quench would be like the stifle. Yeah. And it could be do not stifle the utterances of the Spirit. Do not stifle inspiration. 
It also suggests, though, that the prophet did have control over whether or not he spoke. Those who were inspired were not to become fearful or timid in preaching the gospel. Timothy is told, preach the word in season and out of season. Timothy is also told, God did not give us a spirit of timidity, but a power. Yeah. And so even inspired people could be tempted to back off. Mm-hmm. So it didn't remove then the free will of the person who was given the spirit. They continued to need to make the conscious choice of whether to quench the spirit by not using their minds to stay on the narrow way. It'd be the opposite of quenching the spirit. Well, I think what would be opposite of quenching the spirit is when the spirit prompts you to speak, you mm-hmm. speak, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. that you don't alter or tone down the message. Interesting that in First Corinthians fourteen, a chapter on the proper use of spiritual gifts. Okay. Says the spirit of the prophets is subject to the prophets. Yes. So the idea like I can't help myself and I'm just rolling around with the spirit is not the picture we have Mm -hmm. in the New Testament. Mm -hmm. So when it says do not despise prophetic utterances, I kind of took that as love the truth always, but from what you're saying it has more to do with this divine ability in the first century that God granted. Mm, I think your first one's right. I okay. think it's like, don't make light of prophetic gifts. Okay. Don't don't hold prophecy in low esteem. Don't pr- scoff at those who prophesy. And I think it, you're right. You need to love the truth because Paul faced people who did not appreciate the truth that was revealed through mm-hmm. him, mm-hmm. 1 Corinthians 14, 37. Mm-hmm. And the various inspired teachers in Thessalonica may have faced the same attitude especially as they tried to admonish the disorderly among them, like, well, who are you? And I don't have to listen to you, and etc. It does look like, even from the second letter, that we got some meddlers, we got some loafers who are not appreciating the spiritual truth that's being, well, given to them by people trying to put them in the right frame of mind. Mm-hmm. So... Here in the first century, people were given the ability to speak truth that applied to everyone else, but those that were being spoken to are to examine everything carefully, it says in verse 21. And that's a really beautiful balance there of it's don't despise prophetic utterances, but at the same time, don't be gullible because... Even in the Old Testament, there were people that would claim that God was speaking through them, Mm -hmm. and they were lying about it. Yep. We see that multiple times. That's true in the New Testament as well. So when someone gets up to speak, don't put your brain in neutral, Uh but rather you would examine what they teach in light of previous revealed truth. What do you have from God in writing? (laughs) And how does what when someone said that they were in the first century speaking from a prophetic utterance, how does what they say align with book, chapter, and verse? Yeah, 1 John 4, 1 says, test the spirits, because Mm -hmm. there's many spirits out there that are not from God. And so you would use the letters that you would have at this point, Mm -hmm. the truth that's been revealed to you at this point, Mm -hmm. and then you would use that to examine all other utterances. Okay, so just to give a context for this, for people that are new to the scriptures, Mark, 
Could you walk briefly through when this book, uh, Two of the Thessalonians, was written and how God spoke to people in the first century and how the New Testament was canonized? Okay, so spiritual gifts included a number of things, like the ability to heal, but it also included the ability to speak truth, to reveal truth, because your New Testament had not been written yet. So now we're, you're talking what era? So this is in the first century, and Jesus has come, and he's lived, and he's died, and he's been resurrected, and the church has been established. Okay. And so there's no New Testament yet, and so through the apostles, including men like Paul, the Holy Spirit is revealing the new covenant, or here is how people are to live as Christians. Here's what Christians to believe. Yes. And one of the, one of the letters would be, the letter to the Thessalonians, which mm-hmm. would be the early 50s. Mm-hmm. And depending on who you talk to, probably the last letter of the book, Revelation, may be as late as AD 90, but before the first century ends. Okay. And we know that these books were being written during this time is because other people are quoting from the books. And we have those books. We have the books of uninspired men who are quoting from the writings of the apostles. So the entire New Testament is written within the first century. And Christians viewed it as scripture. And we find that in Second Peter chapter 3, 16 and 17. So even by the end of the first century, the writings that were viewed as inspired were well-received among all Christians mm-hmm. and were viewed as authoritative and as a standard of faith and practice. And so the scriptures say that God's will is once for all delivered to the saints. And so... Yeah, that would be Jude 3, that the faith has been once for all delivered to the saints. Jesus promised the apostles that the Holy Spirit would reveal to them all truth. Mm -hmm. And Jesus kept his promise on that. Mm -hmm. And it's interesting, if our New Testaments were all destroyed, we could basically put together a New Testament from the writings of people that lived kind of like shortly after the apostles mm-hmm. in the first century because they quoted so extensively from the writings of the apostles. Mm-hmm. And then First Corinthians 13 gives us a clue of that God would not continue to speak to people his word until our present day, giving more and more and more revelations. Um, what do we learn from First Corinthians 13 in terms of God's plan for revealing his will to mankind in writing? Well, the spiritual gifts are kind of like a scaffolding around the church. That mm-hmm. is, in the absence of a complete New Testament, the spiritual gifts gave information to congregations that they needed right away. Mm-hmm. So they might not have the letter to Timothy on the qualifications of elders, mm-hmm. but they need to have elders. So mm-hmm. a man speaking by inspiration could give the qualifications. Yes. But once that information was revealed and recorded, and yes. then it was circulated among the churches, and once all truth was revealed, the gifts that had delivered that truth were no longer needed. And so 1 Corinthians chapter 13 makes it clear that The spiritual gifts are temporary, but when all knowledge or the complete knowledge has been revealed, the spiritual gifts will cease. Mm -hmm. And that you'll find in chapter 13, everyone is very familiar with, you know, the qualities of love, love is patient, love is kind, etc. But at the very end of that, it says love never fails, but 
If there are gifts of prophecy, they will be done away. If there are tongues, this would be their miraculous ability to speak a new language with having never studied it. If there are tongues, they will cease. If there is knowledge, this is also a miraculous level of knowledge of knowing things that someone hadn't studied. They it's information that God gave. If there is knowledge, it will be done away. For we know in part, and we prophesy in part. But when the perfect comes, the partial will be done away. So the perfect law of liberty, right? The perfect and complete will of God, when that would come, this partial knowledge that people were given through tongues and prophecy, that would all be done away. It goes on to say, when I was a child, I used to speak like a child. So the church is in its infancy then, right? When I was a child, I used to speak like a child, think like a child, reason like a child. But when I became a man, I did away with childish things. So the childish things then would be these um, miraculous abilities that we're reading about here in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. Yes? Yes. All right. So they were told to examine everything and hold fast to that which is good. So there is a standard by which you can examine everything. Mm -hmm. And that's really, really important to note. And there is a way to know that something is good, truly good, Mm -hmm. objectively good. Mm -hmm. And we are to hold to that. Like super glue. And at the same time, the word abstain, abstain from every form or appearance, fashion, shape, which would include like evil advice or false teachings. Well, and one warning then I think would be that holding fast to what is good rather than what is familiar or what is comfortable or what many people hold to these days, what feels right or is more pleasant or more fun or more easy. No, we are to hold fast or cling to that which is good in the eyes of God and thus abstaining from every form of evil. Yeah, not snuggling up against it or not trying to walk the line as close to evil as we can get. Bible says, like, flee fornication, flee idolatry, mm-hmm. and flee youthful lust, Second Timothy 2, 20 through. So in reference to evil, keep far away from it. Yes. I love that it says, though, every form of evil, because... God knew in his wisdom, obviously, that inventors of evil are always thinking up new ways to practice the same darkness in new ways. Like I think about, you know, we read about drunkenness earlier in this book, and but, you know, methamphetamines haven't been invented yet. It's just a newer way of being inebriated, right? And sexual deviancy is a favorite category for inventors of evil. Inventors of evil also indicates that there's a boredom in evil as well. That's mm-hmm. why they have to keep on inventing mm. new versions of it, you know? You see that in people that drink and do drugs like, okay, but what's the latest drug? And what's the newest drug? Yes. What's the newest cocktail? What's the newest drink concoction? Everyone runs after that. Right. Because you get bored with yes. the old standby. It's a satiation for sure. It's really sad that when technology is invented, inventors of evil, you know, how can we use this new invention of, let's say, the internet to multiply evil and bring this world down, you know, in in addictive um, pornography and such. Also, and so in advances in medicine, this is a gift of God that we've had advances in medicine. And here we go again. 
inventors of evil use those advances to ruin the lives of even children by changing their biological gender or attempting to. Mm, Good observation. You would hope our world would learn. The next generation of would be very savvy about, hey, here's a new technology. Mm -hmm. Okay, people are going to use it for evil. How do we limit the impact? How do we limit the damage? I just wish more Mm -hmm. people that were the inventors, the scientists, Mm -hmm. the people on the cutting edge of technology took evil more seriously. Okay, we got this new thing. And it's going to be used to destroy lives as well as help lives. How do we limit the damage? How do we not be naive about what we're just about to unleash Mm -hmm. on civilization? Mm -hmm. Because God wants us to enjoy the blessings of verse 23. Now may the peace of God himself sanctify you entirely. What are your thoughts on this? Well, God is the God of peace. That is, he's the one who enables us to be forgiven. He wants us to have peace with him and Mm -hmm. others. He's all about peace. Well, and there's no real place for peace apart from him. Correct. And it's very naive to try to blame the world's problems on Christianity. Man causes the problems, not God. The word sanctify means to consecrate, to separate from things that are evil, to purify. And then it's very specific. God wants it holy, through and through, not like a little bit of cleaning up, uh, but rather inside, outside, in our conduct, speech, thoughts, attitude, all pure. And this is great news, Mm -hmm. is that you can actually become a completely new person. Purity is attainable. Holiness is attainable, even in this life. Mm -hmm. And then it goes a little further and says, to be specific, I want your spirit, soul, and body all to be clean, Mm. holy. Sanctified. Uh Mm -hmm. It's interesting. There are many places in the Bible where man is pictured as a dual creature, Mm. spirit body, like Ecclesiastes 12 verse 7, or Jesus said, don't be afraid of those that can kill the body, but can kill the soul, right? Mm -hmm. The one who's able to throw the soul in the hell. And yet here we have, along with one other passage in Hebrews 4 verse 12, which implies that there may be a distinction between the soul and the spirit. But right now, I don't have a clue what that is. (laughs) And maybe there's a reason for that, because the Hebrew writer said that the Word of God is able to penetrate the thoughts and intentions. Of the heart. And and what's that? I mean, that's that's a fine line. What's what's the difference between your thoughts and intentions, right? Motives and your... Yeah, motives and your thoughts, because those things can be interchangeable or intertwined. And the distinction between soul and spirit... It looks like there's a line, but it also looks like the Holy Spirit is saying, at the end of the day, it's a real fine line mm-hmm. as well. And so throughout Scripture, in many places of Scripture, soul and spirit are interchangeable terms. Yeah, I was thinking when I read this phrase, now may the God of peace himself sanctify you entirely. I was thinking about if you feel you cannot relate to in any way <laughs> much at all anymore to the world, perhaps God has set you apart entirely. He is sanctifying you. Yes, so that we can be preserved and complete without blame in our spirit, in our soul, in our body, every part of us. The spirit is a different part than the soul somehow. And 
We also have a heart, right? That we're supposed to watch over with all diligence. So he says, be preserved entire without blame at the coming of our Lord Jesus. And he just talked about that earlier uh-huh. in this particular chapter. So preserved entire, that is when Jesus shows up, our body will be raised, will be instantly transformed. And mm-hmm. so we don't even lose our body. And we are a spirit in a body. So we, we don't lose anything. And then without blame that we can stand before God with confidence and the blood of Christ enables that, that we can be forgiven of all our sins. And kind of note that the Bible teaches the salvation of the entire person, mm, mm-hmm. the entire person. Mm, interesting. Yes, that we can be preserved without blame. I mean, obviously, just because all have sinned and will be a work in progress until the day we die, that doesn't mean that we cannot be at his coming complete and blameless, which really must be as a result of the grace and mercy of God and the power of the power of God through the blood of Jesus Christ to remove our sin as far as the East is from the West, right? Yeah, and going back to your point, you made a good point that if you feel that, man, I don't know if I fit in anymore, mm-hmm. it looks like the world has lost its mind, that is a good indication mm-hmm. that you're you're making progress and you're becoming what God wants you to be sanctified entirely. Like there's nothing watching television anymore. There's really no movies to watch or that would be a waste of time or I can't even watch the commercials or et cetera. That's indicative of, and mm-hmm. I think that was true of the early Christians. Yep. The early Christians were not really impressed with the culture that was around them or the pop culture that was around them. They were living clearly different lives and their mind was set towards a heavenly country you can kind of test yourself mark to see if you are allowing god to sanctify you entirely i would suggest that if you find yourself able to stomach dirtier and dirtier websites movies photographs like whatever the darkness is that you're building like an immunity to that that you are less and less sensitive to it this is not a good sign that you are being sanctified entirely. I think that happens, Mark, because of exposure to it, exposure to it. You're going to get more and more callous to the darkness in the world. In contrast to that, the more that you spend time basking in the wisdom of God and listening to God instead of pop culture the more sensitive you're going to become when you encounter the darkness when you're out and about, you know, in your daily life. Are you becoming more and more sensitive, kind of like feeling what God feels about the darkness in the culture? Or are you becoming more and more comfortable and callous to the darkness? This is a clue to kind of track your progress, I think, of in your sanctification. Absolutely. The next verse says, faithful is he who calls you, and he will also bring it to pass. Mm. And clearly we have a role to play in that. So God's trustworthy, he's dependable, and if you hang in there, if you remain faithful, he's not going to fail you. Right. So God calls people through the gospel, but not just to abandon them when they obey the gospel. Mm -hmm. But uh, God can be depended upon, and you can put your trust in him. And he's not going to, uh, he's not going to disappoint you. Yeah. He is so unwaveringly faithful to us 
we need to be unwaveringly faithful to him. Think about Jesus saying, come follow me. That's what he's calling us, whispering to us over and over again. Come follow me. He's faithful. Let's be faithful back. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, Paul will say in the letter to Second Timothy that if we endure, if yes. we endure, uh, if we are faithful, uh, that's, that's the way it works. So when it says, and he also will bring it to pass, what is the it that he's bringing to pass? Well, I think the purpose of him calling you. Okay. Eternal okay. life. Okay. Yeah. The life of a, well, what we've just been talking about, the life of a sanctified individual, mm-hmm. of a holy person, mm-hmm. that here you've taken someone that was once in sin, once a child of wrath, Ephesians 2, verse 3, and now they are a holy, godly person. Mm-hmm. God will complete it. Mm-hmm. He brings it to full fruition. All right, so then we have closing remarks here at the end of Thessalonians. It says, brethren, pray for us. Isn't that interesting, Mark, that even inspired men ask the prayers of uninspired Christians? Yeah, it's in the continuous tense. That is, keep praying for mm-hmm. us. And Paul mm-hmm. often asked for the prayers of those that he had converted. Here's one example, but another would be Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 19. I think it also shows his humility he realized that he was never above the prayers of other people mm-hmm. or needing their prayers. He was very conscious of his own limitations. Yes. So verse 26 says, greet all the brethren with a holy kiss. So I'm not really seeing this going on much today, Mark, at least not in the United States of America. Should this be going on or does it look different than it did back then? Like, what do you make of this? Good question. We will also find this in a couple other passages like Romans chapter 16 and in verse 16. And it's interesting that this is clearly a custom. And in fact, it's put in the category of other customs. You would find this in uh, Luke chapter 7 about verse 45 when Jesus said, I entered your house and you didn't um, anoint my head with oil. I entered your house and you didn't wash my feet and I entered your house and you didn't give me a kiss. And so I think that clearly places this in the category of here's a custom of greeting and it was typically given on the cheek or the forehead. And also as a rule, men only greeted men this way and women only greeted women this way. I think the emphasis is not so much on the kiss because that was a custom even non-christians practice that Mm -hmm. i think the emphasis is on that when you greet someone like that it needs to be from pure motives okay so it would be free of manipulation getting on someone like yeah i'm gonna backstab you or etc okay it would be free of any kind of sexual expression insincerity or unfriendly attitudes or hypocrisy yes so it's a special closeness that feels emotionally intimate between two believers Mm -hmm. and so in our custom today what might that look like well if you give someone a hug or a handshake mean it a Mm -hmm. compliment mean it Mm -hmm. yeah that it's pure from any sort of unworthy motives Mm -hmm. which gets back to the previous verse about having a life that's wholly sanctified, Mm, that mm -hmm. even when we greet each other, greet each other, it's not fake. There you go. It's genuine. There you go. I adjure you by the Lord to have this letter read to all the brethren. I guess everyone needs the truth, Mark. (laughs) 
Yes. In fact, he placed them under an oath. That's oh. what the word adjure is. Uh-huh. You know? huh. I want this letter read to all the believers. Uh-huh. That's, that's a pretty interesting thought in light of the fact that, as in Catholicism, for, there were centuries that they did not want this to be in the hands of the members. Mm. Paul mm. is very insistent that everybody, everyone hears about this letter mm-hmm. and everyone is able to read this letter. Wow, that's a good point. I've been attending one of the best classes at the Livingston Congregation here uh, in Florida in the Tampa area. Buddy Payne's been uh, teaching it along with Andrew Roberts on the Restoration Movement. And wow, what people have gone through, Mark, in order to make the Word of God readable to all the brethren at this point, you know? Not just the printing press, but just, wow, people died in order to make the Bible available to the common soul. Yeah, don't take the accessibility to Scripture for granted. Also, it's really neat here, Paul knew that the Bible's not that complicated, that if you read it, all the brethren will understand it. Mm -hmm. The hard thing is not understanding the Bible, understanding the text. The hard thing is applying it, doing it, being honest about it. That's the hard thing. Yes, and so then this letter ends with really a blessing that's the ultimate blessing of what we need the most, and that is, verse 28, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. And I think that's basically connected to everything else. Uh, And what I mean by that is that if we are appreciating the elders that we Mm, looked at, if, mm -hmm. if, if we are doing our part at admonishing disorderly and we're rejoicing always and we're not repaying evil for evil and we're giving thanks in all situations. We're not clutching the spirit. We're not despising inspired men. We're examining everything carefully. We're holding fast to that, which is good. We're abstaining from evil. We're working on continually cleaning up our lives and getting rid of all the darkness in our lives. Then yeah, the grace of the Lord Jesus will be with you if you're on a course mm-hmm. like that. Don't quench the spirit. Well, we have come to the end of First Thessalonians. All right, so we've not decided what we're going to jump into next. We haven't necessarily thought we must do what comes next in the scriptures. We are... Flexible. <laughs> so, Mark, I'm prepared to either do Second Thessalonians, Philemon, First Peter, First John, Second John, or Third John. That's what I'm ready to roll on, but that's all I'm ready to roll on. So what do you think? Well, I think since we've already been in the first letter, we should pick up the second letter. All right, deal. That's where we'll pick up these scripture hikes in the future. And thank you so much for joining us here at Nomads, you and I.